welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 27th of September 2015, entitled The Untamed Cult. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Here, with a testimony and then sermon, is Mission Relating Kelly. Okay, well I'm Missionary Leighton Kelly. Just put your hand up for me. Have you ever heard me speak before? Put up your hand. Lots of you haven't. Okay, that's good. All right. Uh, Because I only have one message and I kind of tend to do it everywhere I go. (laughs) I'm only kidding. (laughs) But uh, listen, glad to be with you. I've had an exciting day. Well, an exciting night too. But I've had a really exciting day. Got to come over and preach in Kingsmead this morning. And um, knew one of my um, my graduates from my home was going to be there, and um, he was there. And just before the service started, um, I was told that um, he was going to propose to uh, a girl at Kingsmead this morning. Um, so what ended up happening was she was getting baptized in the morning service. So I was going in, and I was uh, I was going to be preaching. But we were starting off, and uh, what ended up uh, coming about was. Uh, we watched m- my video, which I don't have tonight because I left my memory stick in the other church. Uh, that's I'm such a good missionary with stuff like this. But uh, I left my my. We watched my video, and then I got up to speak, and I gave a, a little update on on the ministry. And uh, then I was informed that I had to call um, Weston and Beth up to the front to, in a sense, um, tell them I was going wanted to pray for them. So as they came up and they stood there. Well, then I sat down, and them two were left up the front at the pulpit. <laughs> and they thought I was going to pray for them. So you know what happened next? He bends down on one knee. What do you think she does? She bends down on one knee too. <laughs> it was funny. She had no idea what was going on. But uh, she soon realized that Weston, uh, from County Cork over in Ireland, Weston was proposing to her, and he got down on one knee, on front of the pulpit in the Lord's house on the on the Lord's day, and uh, on the day of her baptism, and asked her to marry him, and um, I hope she said yeah. She said yes. So that was a wonderful uh, service this morning. Then I preached, and then we had a baptism. Had a wonderful morning in Kingsmead, uh, and it all went well. Well, let me give you an update on what I do. I am Nathan Kelly. I'm a missionary to the addicted. So addicted people of any kind. They don't even have to be addicted, but that's where my heart is. That's where my focus is. Reaching homeless people, alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, the families of addicts, the kids of addicts. uh, All that kind of stuff is where I focus my energy and my efforts. Um, We, uh, I'll give you a bit of my testimony and then, and then I'll share about what's going on in the work and then we'll, we'll uh, preach the Bible for a while. But um, what ended up uh, happening was I was brought up in Dublin, uh, Roman Catholic, come from a Catholic background, wasn't very Catholic in all honesty, didn't really do much, went to rosary in school and, and the like and, you know, um, made me, you know, confirmation, communion, all those t- type of things normal Catholic boy will do, done all that kind of stuff. But it was never real for me. I didn't see the reality in... in um, in God or anything like that. I didn't, when I would go to church, I'd be absolutely bored down my mind. I didn't think the guy that was up there speaking uh, had much to say. Uh, it was pretty much the same every week. And it just never, it never suited me. It never fitted what, it, what I thought. And, you know, that's just the way it was for me. And I grew up in a home where my father wasn't there. My father left my mother, uh, had an affair and left my mother. And uh, I grew up without a father in my life. 
uh, which left a huge gaping hole in my life. I have to say that. When you grow up without a dad, I had a stepdad, but it really wasn't the same. Uh, and it leaves a big hole. And you know, when somebody doesn't feel loved, when a kid doesn't feel loved, and this is why it's so important that kids, when they come into church, and even if they're not your kids, if they're kids from the outside that come in, it's really important that they know they're loved when they get here. You know, they should want to be coming back here every time the doors are open because of the love they feel in here. You know, because sometimes kids that come into church aren't getting real love at home. And I want you to encourage you, really love the kids that come in. Give them time. Even the ones that make a mess, make noise, cause trouble, they're maybe the ones we need to love the most. And that's the truth. So let me encourage you in that. And, um, you know, I remember just because I, I had that lack of, my mother loved me and I had her love and family and there was no problems growing up. Everything was good. I had a good upbringing, let me tell you. I had a good family. But there was still something missing. And I, knew, I knew there was something missing. And it was that relationship with a father figure. So you know what I'd done? Uh, I would do stupid stuff just for people to like me and accept me. You know, foolish things for everybody to get a laugh and stuff like that. But uh, when I was about 12 years of age, I'd just been a normal kid like anybody else, 12 years of age. Uh, I got invited to a holiday Bible club. And uh, I went to holiday Bible club. And... Um, that's uh, the first time I ever heard the gospel being preached. I'd never heard the truth of why Jesus Christ came to die on a cross. If you had asked me before that point, I would have said, I don't know, it's just a story type thing. I really didn't know why he came to die. And that day I learned that I had a problem between me and God, and my problem was called sin. I had a sin problem. And my sin was going to take me to hell when I died if I didn't get saved. You say, well, what's getting saved? I needed to become a born-again Christian. You say, does it say born again in the Bible? It does. The Bible says ye must be born again. I needed to get born again. I needed to become a child of God. And, you know, when that guy, Kevin Daly, when he preached the Bible, I knew I had a problem with God, and I knew I needed saved. I knew I needed to get my sins forgiven. And after the after the service that day, uh, he said, if anybody would like to know from the Bible how they can get saved, when I pray, I want you to start coming to the front. So as soon as Kevin Daly started praying, I walked forward and come up to him and I asked him, will, will you show me from the Bible how I can be saved? I wanted to know when I was going to die that I was going to go to heaven. That's an important thing to know, isn't it? It's important to know that if you were to die tonight on the way home, where you're going to go. And you can know. God wants you to know. He gave us the Bible so that we will be left in no doubt what he wants us to know. Okay? And he hasn't changed it at all. I mean, it's going to be the exact same uh, when I'm here, when, when I'm gone. And listen, God wants you to know how you can get saved, why you need to get saved. And he's going to tell you how to do it. He's going to tell you how he's done it. And, you know, I went and I came into a side room down on the on this side of the room. Kevin Daly went into the room and he sat down on one chair. I sat down on the next chair and he put his Bible half on my leg and half on his leg. And he went to the book of Romans and when he found the book of Romans. He read and went through the Romans road with me. That's God's plan for salvation. And he showed me from the black and white pages of scripture how I could become a Christian. How I could know for sure. I was going to heaven. And that day, I asked the Lord to save me, to forgive my sin, and I became a Christian that day, and I've been a Christian ever since. Now, 
With that being said, that was a wonderful day. My life changed. I, I got on fire for God. I was in church. Uh, I went every time the doors were open. I wanted to be a witness. I wanted to serve God. I used to go up and clean the pastor's office. Every Wednesday after school, I would go to the church and I would clean the pastor's office. How many of you young people can say that? Pastor, you're going to have some offers at the end of this meeting. I'm going to tell you. We're going to have an altar call for pastor's office cleaning. But... um. You know, that's what I wanted to do. The pastor never asked me to go clean his office. There was something inside me when I got saved that I wanted to serve God. And it's still there, by the way. Okay? And I wanted to serve God. And that's all well. And I was going to Sunday school. I was learning the Bible verses. I was learning the stories out of the Bible. My parents didn't mind me going to church or anything like that. And it all was well. But when I left primary school... To go into secondary school, that year, that, that summer in between primary school and secondary school, age of 13 years of age, I started palling around with an older crowd of boys. And when I started palling around with this older crowd of boys, you know, I never thought that it would take me so far. I never thought it would lead me to a place where I'd done the stuff that I've done. You know, I thought it's only fun. These are exciting. These are doing stuff that's really exciting, you know. And they're cool. These guys were three years, four years older than me. And you looked up to them as a young fella and you thought, listen, I want them people to like me. And, uh, you know, we started doing things like stealing cars. Uh, I got my first JLO, a junior parole officer, uh, when I was, I mean, I think I was like 14 or something like that. I was caught in a stolen car in the car park of the Hellfire Club. Um, that's a, a monument in Ireland up in the Dublin mountains uh, I started drinking flagons of cider I had totally stopped going to church I, had, I, wouldn't, I was totally ashamed of what I was doing I would just block it out I was deeply convicted about what I was doing but I, I liked the way it made me feel and I liked the fact that these boys I was fitting in with these guys and we were a gang and everything was fun and you know when I'd be doing stuff I'd be, man, I shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this. But there was something else, the other voice in the head says, I go on, sure, everybody else is doing it. And see, once you go down that road of listening to peer pressure and doing stuff because other people are doing it, you never know where that's going to end up. And I ended up in awful trouble. I went from, you know, drinking flag, I went from being in Sunday school to drinking flagons of cider in the, in the fields to taking amphetamines and LSD and um, ecstasy tablets and I went through all these different drugs and then as a young teenager uh, I one Halloween night uh, a real long story short I tried a drug called heroin Okay, when I was a really young teenager and uh, we were only ever going to do it once that was the plan we didn't want to become drug addicts didn't set out to be a drug addict only wanted to try it once because it was Halloween night and it was a special occasion or so we thought so I popped uh, some ecstasy tablets on uh, early evening on Halloween. We done the ecstasy tablets and then to come down off the ecstasy, we, uh, we had heroin. We went into this old man's house that used to let us in. If we, if we gave him some cannabis or some alcohol, he would let us into his house and he would go into the bedroom and leave us in the living room to do whatever we wanted to do. Um, he had obviously problems himself. And we done that, we went in and we, we smoked heroin that night, first time I ever done it. Um, vomited the whole night, and I mean the whole night, all of us. 
The next day when we met up, have a guess what we decided to do? Go get more. You know why we decided to go get more? Because it felt good. And always remember, when you're talking to somebody that's an addict, oftentimes, and most of the times, they're taking drugs because they actually feel good. But the problem with taking drugs because they feel good is, like the Bible says, there is pleasure and sin for a season. That season always comes to an end. You know, that kind of addiction uh, always has two sides. And you see, what you will find is when the devil's tempting you to go and get uh, do stuff like that and tempting you in any way, he only ever shows you the side of the kind that he wants you to see. The side that says you're going to have fun, that nobody will know, that it's going to be good. Sure, everybody's doing it. Sure, it's just normal. Sure, other people are worse than you. He never shows you the other side of the coin where years later you're still trapped in it. Where you have no relationships with any family members because you've burned all your bridges. That you can't lift your head when you're walking down the road because you're so ashamed of who you are. That when you look in the mirror, the guilt just tears out you and the shame. And you hide from, from life, you hide from society. When the devil comes to tempt a young person, he will never tempt you and show you the reality of what you're going to do. I, deal, I work with drug addicts, and when they're being tempted back into addiction, which often happens, he never shows them the, the, the real face of addiction, where they're going to be lying in a gutter somewhere, with no home, with no life, uh, going nowhere. He never shows them that. He shows them just the pleasure of the addiction. So I ended up becoming a heroin addict as a young teenager. Uh, I ended up on biceptone and methadone and all those different things. I ended up being addicted to Valium and sleeping tablets and antidepressants. I was on antipsychotic medication. At one time I got uh, signed myself into the psychiatric hospital in Tala. Uh, I wasn't mad. I just wanted help and I didn't know where else to go for help. And in all my years of being a drug addict, I never thought to turn back to God. That might sound strange to you. But remember, I was brought up Catholic, and there was just something inside me that, that told me I needed to do better first before God would accept me. And I thought God would never take me back. All the stuff that I've done, the people that I've hurt, the things that I've done to myself, God would never do that. I ended up injecting drugs. It, it didn't stop at smoking heroin. It went on to injecting drugs. It didn't stop there. I went on to sharing needles with people that I'd never even met before. <laughs> it got to be so much chaos that, you know, even though you'd be involved in the most extreme risky behavior, you somehow justified it in your mind to the fact that this is normal and this is just what you do. And you can so sear your conscience that you can bring yourself to do anything. There's not a person in this room that is above going to the depths that I've been at. And that was as uh, somebody that went to Sunday school and got saved in Holiday Bible Club. And my life was absolutely a mess. And one day I ended up coming back in the doors of a church, in the doors of Lifegate Bible Baptist Church, where a pastor, and we all need Jesus with skin on, let me tell you. We all need somebody. We all need a man of God in our lives, a servant of God in our lives that's going to help us. And I, I went into the church uh, and, you know, uh, during the week, I don't even remember going, but I went in and went up the next day to see him. And that pastor, David O'Gorman, and his family took me, a heroin addict, in to live in their home. I had needle marks all in my arms. I was seven stone in weight. 
I had um, I'd messed up everything uh, and they took me in to live in their home with them and they detoxed me off drugs now not only them the women out of church detoxed me off drugs they had a rotor in my church you used to probably have a rotor for cleaning these but we had a rotor for detoxing people that detoxing me that's what, that's what would happen so the ladies would come and sit with me during the day to keep me safe while uh, pastor was off and uh, that's the way it was. The women out of church detoxed me. So they've all seen me crying and all that kind of stuff, uh, all the women in the church. So I've no shame in Lifegate, let me tell you. They know all the, all the dodgy bits about me. But um, they looked after me. They loved me. They cared for me. But I wasn't able to stop taking drugs, even though I had the opportunity to stop and I wanted to stop. There was this pull all the time to go back. So the church sent me over and I'd done a Christian program in Scotland. It was an 18-month program. And when I was over there, I got my relationship back with God, started to read my Bible, study my Bible, uh, got a hold of God, and my life has never been the same since. I didn't get re-saved. I just got right with God. That's all. I got right with God and started to walk with God, and that was in the, uh, in the year 2000. What year are we at now? Pastor, I won't ask you, you're not sure of the dates, uh, but uh, 2015, um, 2015, so 15 years ago, if you had seen me, I would be standing here, um, I would have had hair back then, um, <laughs> and I would have had a sunken face, I would have had needle marks on my arms, I would have been addicted to cigarettes, Valium, sleeping tablets, antidepressants, antipsychotic medication, I was on a methadone script, and taking heroin every day. But God, God stepped into my life. He used a preacher. Um, and you know what? I had to take steps of obedience in order to get help too. The Bible says this, the servant of the Lord was not strife, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, instructing those that, um, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So you have a few things going on there. In order to help somebody with an addiction problem, you need one thing. You need a preacher or a servant of God. That can be any one of us. You need God. God has to do a work in the man's life. God has to draw the man and save the man. The man has to be willing to do whatever God would have him to do. The Bible says he has to recover himself out of the snare of the devil. So there's a three-part happening there. There's us as the servants of God. There's God himself working with the addict. And then there's the addict's choice. He has to come and choose to go God's way and choose to, to come to God. So that's my uh, story. So basically, I went to Scotland into this program. And when I finished the program, I met my wife. I went and I joined the local Baptist church in Scotland. And I met my wife, Claire. Claire was the pastor's daughter out of the Baptist church. And uh, I married my wife, Claire. And... Um, we now have five children, uh, Connor, Oshane, Aidan, Sean, and Lorcan. And I know you have prayed for us many times, and we really appreciate uh, your efforts and your support as a church. And you have been supporting my family for years now, and we very much appreciate it. And, uh, you know, when you give money into missions and you put your money in the, in the bag, let me encourage you, it doesn't just disappear. That money that you give and those prayers that you pray make a dramatic impact in a missionary's life. You don't see it because you're here in, in Birmingham. You don't see what's going on. But you know what? Um, 
Brother Taylor was with us this morning in church over in, uh, over in Kingsmead, and he saw some of the fruit from my ministry standing there proposing on one knee to, to a girl. And not only any girl, a girl who, 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 led, who led the girl to the Lord, brother? That guy Weston. That guy Weston led that girl to the Lord. And then, you know, so here you have the fruit of the ministry that you have supported me to do going and reaching other people and seeing them saved. He's now going to move over. He's going to be uh, join up with Kingsmead over there and be a help to them. And, um, you know, it's just the work goes on. So your money doesn't just go nowhere. It's important that you, you remember it's God's work. It's God's money. It's God's ministry. God's doing work. We'd love you to come over. So you're saying, well, what's happened since I last come over? Um, you know, we said about to buy our building. We were going to have to, uh, our building was being sold from under us because the, the landlord, who's a property developer, the banks were taking back all his property. Now, what I do is I run a Christian drug rehabilitation center or a discipleship home that we house 15 men for 12 months and we work with them. This, they're up early in the morning. We have Bible class. They do an hour of devotions in the morning. We have a number of different missionaries that come in and teach class every week. We do the basics like English and maths and computers. We do all that kind of stuff. But there's Bible studies and Bible class every single day. Those guys are flooded with uh, Bible teaching. And it's an absolutely wonderful place. You are all welcome to come at any point. If you ever want to come and see what we do, I'd encourage you to see it on the ground and what God's done. So um, 10 years ago, we started off on... We, we started an outreach from the church. And then eight years ago, we opened a residential home. We started taking in men to help them. And by God's grace, uh, this year, we will purchase the men's home. We had to raise the money to buy it. And we are told that the price of the property was going to be 330,000 euros. That's what it was valued at, 330,000 euros. I don't know about you, but I don't have 330,000 euros. Okay? Um, that, that's a fact. So... Um, what we done was we, we made the DVD, we prayed, and we set about calling churches and asking God and churches to partner with us to bring in some money. And I set out my prayer letter on the, the, uh, the mighty goal of raising 35,000 euros. Some of you will probably remember that. Uh, some of you mightn't remember that, but that's what the goal was at the beginning. Well, uh, after that, God brought in 35,000 um, and the money just kept coming. And when I mean the money just kept coming, uh, the money just kept coming. Right now, the, the amount raised is uh, €107,000 has been raised so far. That's €107,000 has been raised by churches and individuals for the ministry. And that's even in times of recession where people and churches are struggling. God has just touched hearts all over. None of this comes from America. We didn't get even one red cent from America. This is Ireland and the UK churches given, and churches just like yours, independent Baptist churches given, just like yours to do this work. And let me, let me tell you, it's been a work of God. Man couldn't have done it, and you couldn't have rustled it up. You know, Brother Malcolm, I tell you, my English is terrible. I didn't write some fancy letter and, you know, bedazzle everybody. It's been God, and let me encourage you, God is very real, and he knows the needs of his people. So God brought in 107,000 euro. 
So by the time, by, I don't have time to explain the details of it, but we are going to buy the, the New Hope Residential Centre in the next month or so. It's going to go through. It's all done. The contracts are signed. Everything sorted out. And um, New Hope Residential Centre, as a, a ministry, will own its own building. Now, for a ministry to own its own building in Ireland and the UK is huge. There are churches going for years that don't own their own buildings. Okay? But God's done it. Not only did God do that, but God oversaw us to get us to the place where now we have been given €60,000 to do upgrades on our buildings. And we've just been given two houses. So after setting out to try buy our building, we're going to end up at the end of it where the mortgage, which is less than our rent, will have 60000 to do do upgrades to the building, new windows, new heating system, you know, insulation, all those kind of things. And we'll have another two houses for when guys come through the program, now they'll have somewhere safe to go live in the community. So it extends the amount of people we can help. We're out there putting an offer in on two uh, three-bedroom houses um, in Tala. So let me encourage you. It's not just that God only brought in 107, I won't say only, but he also provided us with 60,000 for upgrades and two houses. Now, it's a long story of how we got there, but listen, God is doing the work. Let me, let me encourage you. God is doing the work. And don't you think for a minute, whew, now I don't have, he has loads of money, now I don't have to go and pay these and put on in the offering for him later on. He can take as much of this fruit as he can carry home. Every penny that has been given has gone into the building fund. None of it comes to me at all. Okay, so just so you know that, I don't live it up. I live in a, a council house in a council estate, you know, where you know, in the in the midst of it. Um, and you know, we, we live from in a sense week to week as God brings in money. But new hope in a sense is a different thing where God has just oversaw to, to provide all the needs. And God has been so so good to us. And that's the that's the latest update on what's happening. And God has been so good. But we have a website, nhrc.ie. Um, I will send through the video for you to watch. Um, and if you ever visit Ireland or want to come and see what we do, or you ever have somebody that needs help, all you have to do is go to Pastor and Pastor can call me, and we will work out that person getting help and coming over to New Hope. That's what we're there for. Give any support and help we can. We'll do whatever we can to help always. So uh, that's what's happening. If you have any questions, I'll answer them later on. But I really, really would like to get to the message tonight. So if you would grab your Bible out, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 11 with me. Mark chapter 11 tonight. <laughs> We're going to look at a really unusual passage in the Bible. And uh, why is it unusual? It's unusual because of the way Jesus worked. You know what? Jesus, uh, you know, normally kept in the background of what he was doing. You know, he... He didn't have to, you know, uh, make a big song and dance to get a crowd. Jesus just threw a crowd by the f very fact of who he was. You will find when you read the Gospels that Jesus at times sent the disciples ahead of him uh, to go and get stuff for him. So he wasn't making a big commotion when he came into the town. You know, he would tell people that uh, had been healed not to tell anyone at times. You know, he would withdraw himself into the wilderness at times. He never seemed to draw attention to himself. Now you were in Mark chapter 11, but let me read you Isaiah 42, 1 and 2. It says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighted, 
I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That's the type of ministry that Jesus had. He didn't go around shouting and screaming about stuff. He didn't. His voice wasn't heard in the street. You know, but on this occasion that we're going to look at, Jesus acts in a totally different way. It's really unusual. On this occasion, and it was the Passover in Jerusalem, it's one of the most public occasions that there are. The people are, there's loads of people everywhere. Jesus is going to go into the city of Jerusalem and he's going to be accompanied by palm leaves being thrown on the ground. And he's going to have lots of people around, religious people around. The, the critics were around. The disciples and the followers of Jesus were going to be around. And there was going to be shouts of Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Save now, O Lord. The crowds were going to be huge. Jesus was going to make a statement uh, so this is why Jesus working in a different way than he normally did. He was now going to draw attention to what he came to Jerusalem for. Does anybody know why he came to Jerusalem? What was the what was this journey all about in Mark chapter eleven? Where's he? Where's his ultimate destination in this story? He's going to the cross. This isn't like any other time he's been to Jerusalem. This is it. This is, the, this is the end game for him. This is why he came. Jesus Christ was here to die and he wanted all Jerusalem to know about the reason why he came into the world. And remember, when Christ uh, taught the deep things of God, he taught them to who? The close disciples. He, he taught them to the twelve. But this time was going to be very, very different. This was going to be public to everybody. He was proclaiming who he was. Even the way he enters into the city, it's going to be different than he has ever done before. He was coming to die for the sins of mankind. He came to die for sinners and he was going to call attention to it. He came to pay the price for their sin. And he wanted everyone to know what mission he was on and what he came to the world for. The most wonderful event in the entire history of mankind was about to happen in Jerusalem. And he was making sure everybody knew about it. Christ calls attention to the fact that, you know, he is the son of God who became a man who was born of a virgin. He was going to be offered on the cross for the sacrifice of man's sin. It was the great Passover lamb. He, he came as the Passover lamb. And he was the very lamb that the people came to celebrate in Jerusalem. In a sense, at the same time that the lamb was being inspected by the priest when Christ was being inspected by, the, uh, by, by Pilate. <laughs> so Christ came to die on the cross for our sin in our place. He was paying the debt that we couldn't pay. He was paying it on a cross. He took the punishment for you and I because for us to pay for it ourselves, it would have taken an eternity. If you die without Christ, you're going to die and spend an eternity in hell, the Bible says. And that's not a nice thing to think about, but that is the reality of the situation. Without Christ, we die and go to hell. There is no other way. There's no other plan. There's no other option. There's no other, you know, way to, to make it work. This is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Right there, he ruled out all other religions that are out there. He ruled out good works, baptisms. He ruled out church membership. He ruled out being a good person. He ruled out uh, Allah, Buddha, anyone else you want to add in there. He ruled them all out. Bible says you don't go through Jesus Christ. You don't go. No other option. And that's a hard, hard thing to say. But that's the truth of scripture. And the whole Bible says it. But Christ came to die for me and you. He was paying our debt on the cross. And he took our just punishment uh, on his own body. You know, he paid so we didn't have to. And he was drawing all the attention of Jerusalem to that fact. And remember what Christ done on the cross demands a response. So when you're when we're at the end of the message tonight, we're going to get somewhere with this message. But when we're at the end of this message, you're going to be left with a response. And at the end, you're either going to accept Christ and what He done on your behalf on the cross, or you're going to reject Christ and what He done on the cross. There is no other way to do it. That's, that's what you're going to do at the end of this message. And it's not an automatic decision. Getting saved isn't automatic. Just because you're born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're born and your, your, your mom and dad or your dad's a pastor and, you know, or your mom serves in the church or whatever it might be, that doesn't get you into heaven. Let me encourage you. Nobody's going to wake up in heaven and be surprised that they're there. There's nobody that's going to wake up in heaven and say, man, I can't believe it. I got here. It's amazing. That's not going to happen. Everybody that ends up in heaven is going to remember the day that they ask God to save them and forgive their sin and give them a home in heaven. It's not automatic. And you see, remember, when somebody's preaching to you, what they're doing is they're picking up the diamond of the Word of God. And the story's probably familiar to you. But I'm just going to try to take that story and turn it a little bit, just like you would with a diamond. And when you turn a diamond to the light a wee bit, you see something different in it all the time. And that's what we're going to try to do with the story tonight. Uh, I want to try to teach you something new about the story. And tonight the passage we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 11. So I hope everybody has Mark chapter 11. We're going to keep you there for the entire message. Uh, and if I have other scriptures, I'll just read them out. But... um. We're going to see, I hope it's a help to you tonight, but Jesus, uh, in, the, in Mark chapter 11, let's look down at verse 2. Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and he gets two of his disciples, and he, he sends two of his disciples to go fetch a colt so that he could sit upon it and ride into Jerusalem. And you say, was he tired? No, he wasn't tired. He wanted to make a statement. He wanted to ride in like royalty. And I believe that, that there's a, uh, an illustration here for us to see about uh, what he was going to do on the cross. We're going to look at the story of the cult here, and I'm going to show you that the cult is a picture or an illustration of what Christ came to do on the cross. I hope I have your attention because you're going to need to stay with me tonight. The cult is a walking, talking sermon of what Christ was going to do when he walked through Jerusalem. The coat tells the multitudes what Christ is coming to the cross of Calvary for. This is the story of the untamed cult. So let's look at uh, verse 2 of chapter 11. And uh, Jesus said, And he said unto him, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find the colt. What's the next word? Tied. Okay, so this is important. 
It's the very first feature that the, uh, that's emphasized by Jesus. As soon as you enter into the city, you're going to find a, into, in, enter into the village, you're going to find a colt, and it's going to be tired. And remember, Christ came to die for sinners, and the colt is going to be the picture of it for us this evening. And the first thing he says about the colt is, he says that the colt's tired. The colt is fettered. It's bound. It's, it's uh, you know, its movements are restricted. It's tied up. It was bound, and it's the most prominent feature of the life of the sinner is that you're bound to your sin. You are tied by your sin if you're a lost person tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are uh, fettered to your sin, that you're bound to it, that it restricts where you can go. Because while you still carry your own sin, you will not be able to get into heaven. You will be restricted. That's what your sin does. It ties you. And we find a cold tired. And you're going to notice that, that you know, uh, I mean, I deal with people with, with addictions and, and bad habits and stuff like that. And it's easy for them to see that they're tired because they're absolutely in bondage. But we're all tied to sin. Any has ever done a New Year's resolution before? Okay. Any has ever break your New Year's resolution before? Why is that? Because it can be very, very hard when you're tied to doing a certain thing. And normally when it's a New Year's resolution, it's normally something that's bad for you, isn't it? And you know it's bad for you and that's why you're trying to stop. But it's so hard to stop. You see, we get tied to our sins. We get tied to doing stuff that isn't good for us. We become, we're powerless over it. I remember a time when I was in the psychiatric hospital in Tala uh, where I was across from a man and the man was uh, on a drip and he was sitting there and, you know, he had some serious problems, this guy, serious addiction problems as well. And he's lying in the bed and uh, he got up one morning and I says, what are you doing? Uh, and he says, I'm going to get a drink. And I'm like, you're going to get a drink? You're in the hospital pajamas. I'll just know what the hospital pajamas are. They have hospital property wrote all over them. And I don't mean to be crude, but they have no back on them. They have no back. This guy jumped out of bed, that desperate to go get a drink. He had his drip in his arm. He just pulled the drip out of his arm, in the hospital pajamas, marched out the door, went, bought a drink, and came back full of it. Let me tell you, that's somebody that's tied to their sin. That's somebody that doesn't care about the embarrassment of other people seeing them or walking down the road with blood trickling out of your arm and, and the clothes that you're wearing because he's tied to his sin. Now you'd say, I'd never be like that. It doesn't mean you're not tied to your sin. It doesn't mean you're not tied to your sin. You know what? The cult was tied. Just like the man is tied to his sin. Men are chained to their sin. They can't break free if they want to. You may break a bad habit, but that doesn't mean you're breaking your free from your sin. When we're, uh, when we're in sin and when we're a sinner, you're tied to your sin. You're not able to break free of it. It's impossible. It doesn't matter how much good you do in your life, you'll never break free from it. But Christ came to set sinners free, and he was a, uh, about to do it at Calvary. He was about to break the power of cancel sin and make the sinner free. Think about the, the cult. The cult was loosed and it got taken to Jesus. It got brought to Jesus. When we're dealing with anybody in sin in my ministry, what we do is we remember 
All our jobs to do is we're not there to clean people up. We're not there to do anything else for them. All we're there to do is bring them to Jesus. And it's a really helpful thing to know that if you just bring people to Jesus, he can do the rest. Because I tell you, I know the people that I have to deal with, uh, they're of the most severe addiction-wise and, and problems in life that you can get. And without Jesus, they wouldn't be made free. They're tied to their sin. Another thing I want you to look at is I want you to look at uh, the next part of verse 2. Let's read it again. The colt was tired, but I want you to look at the colt again. And uh, he's saying unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tired. Look at the next bit. Whereon never a man, what's the next word? Sat. Whereon never a man sat. You see, the colt was tired, but the colt was also untamed. The colt was untamed. You see, uh, it's untamed. No one has ever sat on this colt. It's unbroken. It's wild. No one has ever gotten to the place where they could tame this colt. So what does it mean to be tamed? You ever see the old cowboy movies and they'll have an old wild horse and they'll send one of the, the guys in. It's normally the new guy they rope into doing this kind of thing. And they'll send them in to break the, uh, the stallion or whatever it is. And you have to climb on the back of the stallion. The thing will be kicking them everywhere. That stallion will be untamed until that rider can stay on his back long enough to tame it. And break its will. That's what you're trying to do. You will never put a bit in a bridle in a, a horse's mouth until it's broken. It just won't let you. And you know what the Bible says? It says this colt that they went to get, he's untamed. No one has ever sat on this man, on this colt. The very nature of this animal doesn't want to be tamed. It's a wild beast. The thing about a sinner is too, he's untamed. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. We are rebels against God and all that God would have us to do. It's in us from birth. If I stuck a sign outside, wet paint, I guarantee half you in here are going to go touch that wet paint sign, not the sign, the paint, just to check if it is really wet paint. Is that true? If I, if I have grass and I say keep off the grass, how many of us are going to walk in the grass? Most of us. Even a bit. There's something inside you that will want to go. For all you drivers out there, you see the sign on the speed says 30 mile an hour. There is something inside you that wants to go 33, but thinking if you go to 37, you're going a bit too far, but you'll go at 33, but you'll always want to go over. Isn't that true? And no matter if it goes to 70, the speed limit, you want to go 75. You think you can get away with a bit more when it's 70, you see. You see, in Ireland, we're now in kilometers. So you can go 120, which is great. And if, you know, if you have a British license like mine, you can go 120 mile an hour and then play dumb when they stop you. You know, I don't do that. That's just a joke. Don't cut that bit out. Um, but the cult is untamed. It's tired. It's, uh, nobody has ever sat in it. It doesn't, it doesn't want to submit to authority. It's a wild beast. And that's the way man is. Man is, is tired. Man is, uh, untamed. It's not, it doesn't, man doesn't want to be governed. Man is a rebel. Job 11 verse 12 says this. It says, for vain would uh, man be wise, though he be born like a wild ass's colt. You see, the colt is a picture of the sinner. He's never been tamed. And you see, the sinner does not naturally want to submit to God's laws. He wants to do the opposite of what God wants him to do. He wants to go in the opposite direction. 
And if you come to Christ tonight and you're a Christian, God will help you and will draw you and will tame your heart. Those things that you used to want to do, he can remove and he can help you to do the things he wants you to do. You know, he will tell you and help you to get broken over your sin. You know, he can help you to break free of those things that you're tied to. Unless you're broken over your sin, you will always find a way back to it. God needs to uh, break you free of it. So let's look at the, the next point. So the cult was tied, the cult was untamed. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 4 with me. And they went their way and they found the cult tied by the door without. This is important too. The cult was tied on the outside. You see, there's not an idle word in Scripture. When you come to read these stories in the Gospels, you need to read every word and, and ask yourself, well, why is it talking about this? The cult was tied at the door without. The cult was tied at the door and was not permitted to enter into its owner's property. It wasn't allowed in. It was tied up on the outside. It wasn't allowed in. You need to understand that that's the picture of every man, woman, and child born in the, in the world today. They are born on the outside of God's family. They are born on the outside of God's plan. On their own, they will never get into heaven. They will never get there, ever, no matter how long they live. They will never get there. You're not permitted into heaven because of your sin. You're cut off from the life of God. Revelation 21, 27 says this. It says, And there shall no wise enter in uh, anything that defile it, neither uh, whatsoever work it an abomination, nor make it a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're the only people getting in. And you only get in through Jesus Christ. He's the door. He is the way. That's the only way in. You know, very soon the story of Christ would enter into Jerusalem and he was going to die on that cross. And I hope you understand that the Lord was doing what he was doing when he sent these disciples in to find the cult that was tied at the door without, uh, at the door of the house. He's shown that he's opened up the door uh, for mankind to come to God. He was opening up the door. He was opening up the way to heaven. When Jesus died on the cross and he, he proclaimed it is finished, and he died and his head dropped. Let me encourage you. The Bible says that the veil was torn in two in the temple. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means the way to God is now open. We do not now need to go to a priest in order to get to, to, to get to God. We only go through Jesus Christ. He was the one that paid for our sin. Uh, we don't need to go anywhere else. He was the one time uh, Passover lamb. There was no need for the Passover lambs anymore. Uh, the way to God was open. Jesus Christ was demonstrating it. The, the cold is tied at the door without. He's outside. He's not allowed in. Let me encourage you, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, listen, you want to get saved because you need to be getting in. You'll die one day and you'll, you don't want to be left on the outside. Once you die and you pass out of this world, there's no other options, no other possibilities, no other way to get to heaven. When God got Noah to build the ark, he made one door in the ark. And the people around there had a choice. They could either trust God Trust the man of God that was preaching to them about God's judgment to come and they could enter through the one door. Or they could choose not to. 
But judgment was coming. And judgment is coming today too. And you have the door before you open, encouraging you to come in. And that door is Jesus Christ. He died uh, for your sin and my sin. And he's saying, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's encouraging you to come. But just like in the story of the, uh, the ark with Noah, one day the Bible says that God sealed the door. God sealed the door and the rain started coming. And it was too late. Make sure that you make a decision for Jesus Christ before it becomes too late. Let's look again at the story of the cult. Look at Mark chapter 11 verse 4 again. And when they went their way, they found the cult tied at the door without in the place where the two ways meet. You say, well, what does that mean? Look up here for one minute. The place where the two ways meet. So one way is going that way. One way is going that way. The place where the two ways meet is called the crossroads. That's important that that's in too. Because you're going to find that the cult was tied at the crossroads. The cult is at the crossroads. And you're going to find when you come and you hear the gospel being preached and you read the word of God and you, you see about what God's saying in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. You see, when you read those things, God's bringing you to a crossroads. He's bringing you to a point of decision where he's saying you're going to have to choose me or you're going to have to reject me. But you can't go on in two minds. There is only one way and you have to choose which way you're going to go on. And you're at the crossroads. I wonder, are you at the crossroads tonight? Has God been working in your life? Maybe for, you know, only a short time. Or maybe he's been working in your heart for a long time, drawing you. Maybe you know you're not saved and you need God saved to save you. And maybe you've just been holding back out of fear of what people might think. Let me encourage you. Never be worried about what people might think of you. The Bible says that the fear of man bringeth a snare. Don't be snared into staying away from Christ. The cult was tied at the place where the two ways met. Really, really important for us. Last point, I want you to look at verse 7 with me. And they brought the cult to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon him, and he sat upon him. <laughs> You see, it was only when Christ came, when the uh, cult was taken to Christ, uh, that this untamed cult was made useful. And Christ sat upon him. He was now under the control of Christ. This cult got the opportunity to bring Christ through the crowded streets when they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. The cult is now useful. Before it was just tired. It was without, wasn't allowed in. It was untamed. But now it's useful. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, familiar verse, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he had anointed, the Lord anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Jesus came to set at liberty those that were captive. To bring them under his control. God can so save you and change your life that he can run your life better than you ever have. And that's what I have found in my life. Let me give you another verse. In Zechariah 9.9 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, 
O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's written in Old Testament. That's a prophecy about Christ entering into Jerusalem this day on the colt. And I tell you, when man is going to do things and God's going to do things, we, we do things differently, let me tell you. Because if it was up to me to choose what kind of animal the king of kings was to enter into Jerusalem on his triumphant entry would be, you know what I would have chosen? Black beauty. I would have chosen some big stallion of a horse. Some big, strong beast of a horse that when men looked at it, he got frightened. That's the type of animal I would have chosen. You know what God chose? He chose an old, stinking uh, colt. An old donkey. As my granddad would say, no good to man or beast. Okay? Whatever that means. But uh, that's what Christ chose. I want you to remember this. You might look in the mirror and you think, so what could God ever do with me if he, if he saved me? What could he ever use me to do? God can use you to do a whole lot. Because God's not looking for big stallions. He's not looking for big, strong people, big, intelligent people that he can do a whole lot with. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for people that he can unloose. He's looking for people that he can uh, untie. He's looking at people that he can tame. He's looking at people that will be that he can sit upon and he can use, he can direct, and they will go where he wants them to go. And if that's to Ireland to be a missionary, so be it. If that's to stay in Birmingham to work a job and support the local church and be a witness there, so be it. If he wants you to sing, so be it. Whatever he wants you to do, you will go wherever God wants you to do because that's what he told you to do. That's what God wants to do in your life. He's not looking for super Christians. He's looking for available Christians that will listen and let him lead their lives. So let me ask you tonight. Has God been working in your heart? And I don't only mean in this message, has he been working in your heart and drawing you to himself? Has he been encouraging you maybe to stop doing a certain thing that you've been doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, some kind of sinful act or something that you really shouldn't be doing as a Christian? Has he been maybe encouraging you to be a witness? Has he been encouraging you to read your Bible every day and you haven't been doing it? Are you at the crossroads in any of these decisions for God? Let me encourage you, when God brings you to the crossroads and these things are impressed upon your heart, respond to God in them and say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you will have me to do. Don't hold back on being who God has you to be. God has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. Every single person. You know whose job it is to see that uh, purpose fulfilled. It's yours. You have to respond God will never drag you by the scruff of the neck to serve him. Never. He will never. When I choose not to serve God, you know what God does? He says, okay. God is always the perfect gentleman. See, when it comes to salvation, we pray for people to get saved and we want people to get saved. But ultimately, when God's worked in the heart of a man, if, if the man doesn't choose to, uh, to trust Christ and if he will not bow the knee and humble himself and ask God to forgive him and save him from his sin, let me tell you, God won't force him. God will not force himself on anybody. And don't be thinking he's going to force himself on you. He's wanting you to come. He's drawing you and calling you to himself. We're responsible for coming. Let me encourage you. The cult is a picture of what Christ was going to do on the cross. I'd love to have a picture of one right now, but if you ever come across a picture of a donkey, 
and you can do it when you go home. If you look on the back of a donkey, what shape is on the back of a donkey's back? You know there's a cross on the back of a donkey? You look at a donkey and you will see on his back a cross. Why do you think God done that and used the donkey? Because it was a picture of the cross. It's still a picture and a reminder today, even though a lot of us have forgotten about it. Let me encourage you. Christ died on the cross for you. He asked you to live for him today. Come to Christ and he can save you. Come to Christ and he can use your life. 